We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 628 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. It is the other day that came up as potentially being the day on which NFL owners would vote on the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group. The two dates that came up as dates for the vote were July 20th and August 8th. July 20th, of course, ended up being the day. And how much better is it that uh, that was the day as opposed to August 8th being the day? How much better is it uh, than us having to wait until this day for NFL owners to have voted uh, on the sale of the team? Uh, Isn't it so much better for the sale to have been completed on July 20th and 21st and to have the sale finalized as the team launched training camp, launched camp under new ownership. And we, for the last few weeks, have had all of the joy and all of the positive momentum. Look, uh, that the sale was happening always mattered the most. The what always mattered much more than the when. Uh, But the when that we ended up getting uh, was much better than the when that we could have gotten. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Speaking of bad ownership, Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos. Uh, This situation with Kevin Brown, one of the play-by-play announcers for the O's on Masson, him essentially getting suspended for simply noting the Orioles' previous struggles in games at the Tampa Bay Rays. This situation blew up on Monday. I will properly sound off on the situation later in the show. Neither the O's nor the Nationals played on Monday. The O's had a scheduled day off. The Nats got rained out. Uh, game one of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies got postponed due to rain, and so the Nats and Phillies will play a single admission doubleheader on Tuesday beginning at 4.05 p.m. But before we talk John Angelos and Kevin Brown, I have a lot for you on the Commanders. Next segment, the latest on injuries at training camp, including this calf strain for tight end Logan Thomas, who now has missed three consecutive days of practice. Logan, the last two seasons, missed a good bit of time uh, due to leg injuries. How's he doing? And where are we going with Logan Thomas? I'll also discuss quarterback Jacoby Brissett on Monday morning, getting what are believed to be his first first team practice reps 
with the commanders. Yeah, <laughs> as best as we can tell, he during offseason practices did not take a single first team practice rep. And as best as we can tell, he at training camp had not taken a single first team practice rep until Monday morning. Uh, keep that in mind the next time that you hear about a quarterback competition with Sam Howell. Uh, and I'll also talk about the commanders at receiver. Who will be the receivers who make the team's initial 53-man roster for the upcoming season? And then after all of that, I'm going to shine a spotlight on corner Benjamin St. Juice. Yes, the Juice. He is having maybe the best training camp of any commander's player. Head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning raved about St. Jude's. Now look, uh, old BSJ, he's got to stay healthy, no doubt. Uh, but is St. Juice about to have a breakout season? Is the juice about to bust out? Is the juice about to be turned loose? Uh, it is exciting to think about what the commanders might have in this guy. Uh, we are monitoring a developing situation for the commanders in their secondary. We on Monday afternoon had multiple reports that the commanders are placing corner Troy Apke on the reserve injured list due to a shoulder injury and are signing unrestricted free agent defensive back Joshua Kalu. So Apke, aka Trap to IR, and Joshua Kalu is being signed. Uh, Joshua Kalu can play. Joshua Kalu, for the 2022 regular season for the Tennessee Titans, played on 494 defensive snaps and had a run defense grade for Pro Football Focus of 93.5. Uh, that's excellent. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Larry Sabbath on Rod Rivera, writes Larry. Rod Rivera teams always start slowly, yet I have not heard anyone covering the team ask him what he is doing about the slow starts. I think that Josh Harris should sit down with the head coach and ask the following questions. Number one, why do your teams always start so poorly? Number two, what have you done to change that? Number three, have you brought in others to analyze why your teams lose early? Number four, this issue applies on both sides of the ball. Do you remember that fans wanted to fire Jack Del Rio early last season? And number five, should more regulars play in preseason despite the risk of injury? Uh, thank you. For the email, Larry. So, you know, there have been just two instances of an in-season firing of a Redskins slash Washington football team slash commander's head coach since the start of the 1950 season. Norv Turner in December 2000 and Jay Gruden in October 2019. That is it in terms of in-season head coaching firings for our football team since the start of the 1950 season. It has been incredibly rare for our football team to fire its head coach during a season. But I do believe that a bad start by the commanders in the 2023 regular season it could cost our guy, Ron Rivera, his job as head coach. I don't know how you look at it any other way, given the lack of achievement over his first three seasons as Washington head coach and given the new ownership in the Josh Harris group. Uh, Ron Rivera, as an NFL head coach, has gone 58-42-1 in November, December, and January regular season games. 58-42-1. Pretty good, right? Well, Ron, as an NFL head coach, also has gone 40-48-1 in September and October regular season games. Big difference. 
Uh, a bad September and October this coming season may well not allow for Ron uh, to have a good November, December, and January. And keep this in mind about the November, December, and January thing. The magic may be wearing off. Washington, the last two seasons, has got a combined 0-7 in weeks 14 through 17. Uh, when it comes to why Ron Rivera teams traditionally get off to bad starts, there is no clear answer. You could talk about there maybe being some fundamental flaw with how he does training camps and preseasons, but Ron, as Washington head coach, is 2-1 and one in Week 1 games, and the one loss was a close loss, a 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field at Week 1 of the 2021 season, in a game in which Washington starting quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick in the second quarter suffered what turned out to be a season-ending and career-ending right hip subluxation, uh, and in a game in which running back Antonio Gibson had a crucial fourth quarter loss fumble. In other words, Ron as Washington head coach uh, could easily be 3-0 and in week one game. So how is that the case if there is some fundamental flaw with how he does training camps and preseasons? The best answer that I've heard for why Ron Rivera teams usually get off to slow starts is that Ron can be slow to change things that need to be changed. So maybe that does explain the slow starts. But Whatever the cause slash causes of the slow starts, uh, Ron, this coming season may well not survive a slow start. And you look at the commander schedule. Week one, home to the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, the Cardinals look like they're going to be really bad. But week two, at the Denver Broncos, who are a big-time candidate for a bounce-back season for a lot of different reasons. Week three, home to the Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl contender. Week four, at the Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl contender. A one and three start is in play. And if somehow the commanders lose (laughs) to the Cardinals in week one, uh, Ron could be out by the middle of October. Uh, But we shall see. You know, the way that a schedule looks on paper can turn out to be a lot different than how the schedule plays out. Do you remember the 2020 season? Washington had what appeared to be a brutal three-game stretch from weeks 12 through 14. Three consecutive road games at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, uh, then at the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that ended up happening on a Monday evening, and then at the San Francisco 49ers in a game that ended up taking place in Arizona. But that three-game stretch going into the season was viewed as a gauntlet, a cauldron, a season destroyer. And what happened? Washington, over those three games, went 3-0. and So you never know. Email from Joel Charney. On the Orioles, writes Joel, so can you believe the Orioles? 70 and 42, second best record in baseball. Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde have done amazing jobs. We know about the strength of the Orioles' amateur scouting and drafting, but what is equally remarkable is the team's player development system. The Orioles' players continue to improve upon entering the organization, whether you're talking about young guys like Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday, or veterans like Anthony Santander, Adam Frazier, and Yanir Cano. And I love Mike Elias's patience. He ignores the noise and just plods forward, building a juggernaut that should have staying power even in the American League East. I hope that you have time on the podcast over the course of the next four to six weeks to do a deep dive on the Orioles rebuild and the lessons for the Nationals, maybe on a quiet day when the Nats are off and there is no big commander's news. My grandparents lived in Baltimore when I was growing up in Pittsburgh, and the Orioles were my second team, especially after the Frank Robinson trade. It is so great to see them finally be relevant again. Uh, Thank you. For the email, Joel, uh, you know, what the Orioles have done really should be studied by every team 
in Major League Baseball, especially a rebuilding team like the Nats. The O's on November 16th, 2018, announced the hiring of Mike Elias as executive vice president and general manager. And he, over the last five years, has taken the O's from being really an embarrassment in terms of analytics and drafting and player development and turned the team into one of the model franchises in the sport in those regards. I mean, Mike Elias really has transformed the O's. Joel mentioned infielder Gunnar Henderson. Never forget this about Gunnar Henderson. Second round pick. The O's took him in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft, and yet he has become one of the most exciting and versatile players in baseball. The guy can hit well, the guy can run the bases well. The guy can field well in playing three key defensive positions in shortstop, third base, and second base. Gunnar Henderson is number one among all Orioles players in wins above replacement. War for baseball reference for the 2023 regular season at 3.4. Again, the O's got him in the second round of the 2019 draft. Uh, Joel mentioned reliever Yanir Cano. How'd the O's get Yanir Cano? He was one of four pitching prospects acquired from the Minnesota Twins in the trade of reliever Jorge Lopez to the Twins on August 2nd, 2022, what was MLB trade deadline day 2022. People in the national baseball media, uh, like Buster Olney of ESPN and Bob Nightingale of USA Today Sports, ripped the O's for trading away Lopez while still being in wildcard contention. Well, what happened? Jorge Lopez was terrible. For the Twins last season and has been terrible for the Miami Marlins this season. And Yanir Cano for this regular season is number three among all Orioles pitchers in war per baseball reference at 2.3. The other guy who the O's traded in the lead up to the 2022 MLB trade deadline, outfielder slash first baseman Trey Mancini. The O's on August 1st, 2022, uh, traded Mancini to the Houston Astros in a three-way trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, That trade drew a lot of criticism of the O's from the likes of, yes, Buster Olney and Bob Nightingale. Well, are you aware of what has happened with Trey Mancini? And I take no joy in saying this because Trey Mancini is a great story, colon cancer survivor, etc. But he was really bad for the Astros last season and was really bad bad for the Chicago Cubs this season. And in fact, the Cubs last Wednesday, August 2nd, released Mancini. Uh, I could go on and on about all of the great moves that Mike Elias has made with the O's. Look, the O's have not won anything yet. So if you are an O's fan, you can't just plant the flag of victory, okay? Like achievement has to be had. But uh, the team is like overflowing with promising young players. The team has a front office that has demonstrated an impressive ability to find and extract value. And the rebuild, which, yes, was painful, okay? That rebuild was painful. <laughs> uh, as things stand right now, has worked very well, despite the criticisms of a lot of people. I mean, <laughs> those people right now look spectacularly wrong. Well, something else that is wrong is what's happening in the home and auto insurance markets right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. And that's why you should get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. So the Commanders preseason opener is this Friday night. Commanders at the Cleveland Browns Friday night at 7.30. In the meantime, 2023 Commanders training camp at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia continues. The team on Monday morning conducted a non-padded practice that was not open to fans. Uh, Tight end Logan Thomas on Monday morning did not practice, marking a third consecutive practice that he missed as he's dealing with a calf strain. Uh, Left guard Sadiq Charles on Monday morning did not participate in team drills as he's dealing with his own calf issue. But corner Emmanuel Forbes on Monday morning did participate in team drills. He, during Friday morning's practice, suffered a tweaked groin. Uh, Receiver Curtis Samuel on Monday morning did some work in team drills. Curtis, during Sunday morning's practice, did not take any rest in the final 20-minute team period due to, as head coach Rod Rivera said during his post-practice press conference on Sunday morning, quote, tightening up, end quote. Uh, Additionally, the commanders on Monday morning worked out several players, including two punters. As it turns out, that Tressway was dealing with some tightness in his lower back, although uh, Ron, during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning, did say that he expects Tress to play at the Browns this Friday night. But what about Logan Thomas? What is going on with this calf strain? Here was Rod Rivera on Monday morning on how Logan is progressing. Slowly, gradually, you know, he's a guy that we want to be careful with, uh, first and foremost. Uh, so the thing that we've got to you know, be aware of is just, you know, he's an older guy. He is coming off uh, an injury. Yes, it was, you know, two seasons ago, but you, you can't be too careful, especially in this situation. And in this offense, knowing just how vital the tight end is to this uh, offense, you know, we've got to be very smart about that. All right. What kind of a 2023 season is Logan Thomas going to have? Big question. Uh, the Redskins in March 2020 signed Logan as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year contract. He had a terrific 2020 season, right? Logan in the 2020 regular season played in all 16 of Washington's games and finished with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets. He became just the third tight end in team history 
to have a regular season in which he had at least 70 receptions, at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns, joining Jordan Reed in 2015 and Chris Cooley in 2005. Washington, on July 28, 2021, announced the signing of Logan to a three-year contract extension, but he in the 2021 regular season played in just six of Washington's 17 games due to a hamstring injury and then a season-ending torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus. And Logan in the 2022 regular season played in 14 of the Commander's 17 games. He missed three games due to a calf injury, and he did not have a very productive 2022 season. Aaron Schatz, uh, a big-time force in NFL analytics for years, he has a metric called DYAR, stands for Defense Adjusted Yards Above Replacement, is similar to Wins Above Replacement War in baseball. Logan Thomas for the 2022 regular season finished dead last among 48 qualified NFL tight ends in DYAR. Number 48 out of 48. Not good. So a lot of leg injuries for Logan Thomas the last few years, and he's coming off a down season. Although, you know, not all of that is on Logan. Uh, There were plenty of other offensive issues for the Commanders last season. Uh, This coming season will be Logan's age 32 season. Uh, How about this on Monday morning? Quarterback Jacoby Brissett received what are believed to be his first first team practice reps with the Commanders. As best as we can tell, Jacoby during OTA and minicamp practices did not take a single first team rep And as best as we can tell, he had training camp had not taken a single first-team rep until Monday morning. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on finally (laughs) having Jacoby Brissett practice with the first-team offense. Yeah, uh, at some point, he's going to have to work with them, you know, just so he gets to know them and they get to know him. Um, We started talking about that the last couple days, trying to figure out when would be a good opportunity to do it. And uh, so one of the things that Eric and Tavita thought this would be a good, good one with the 10-10-10 practice today. And so we went ahead and gave him the last couple in each period. That Jacoby Brissett, as best as we can tell, did not have a single first-team practice rep with the commanders until Monday morning is something to always keep in mind whenever Ron Rivera brings up the quarterback competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Like, yeah, if Sam really struggles, then yeah, Jacoby could overtake Sam for the starting quarterback job. But this is not a true, legitimate 50-50 quarterback competition. Not with one guy in the competition apparently not having taken a single first-team practice rep until Monday morning. And so, For the record, we, for a third time in four years with Ron Rivera as Washington head coach, have him having talked up a quarterback competition that ended up not being a true quarterback competition. I mean, there are degrees of quarterback competition, yes, but when we hear the phrase quarterback competition, right, we think of a certain thing. We have not had that certain thing over Ron's time as Washington head coach. 2020, Dwayne Haskins versus Kyle Allen, not a true quarterback competition. 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke, not a true quarterback competition. 2023, Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett, not a true quarterback competition. And so we on Monday morning had this exchange between Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times at Rod Rivera. I know a couple years ago, and maybe this isn't apples to apples, but with how you handled the 2020 offseason by giving Dwayne all the reps, being a young quarterback, I think you said after the season you kind of regretted it and wished it was more of a competition. With this, it seems a lot like Sam is getting mm-hmm. first team, first team, first team. Is there 
Do you have any reservations on how you're handling that, or how did you kind of come to that decision? Is it just Sam is young and needs all the reps? And- well, I, I think the biggest thing is with the OTAs and mini camps that we've had, everybody's got an opportunity to get a lot of reps, more so than anything else. So that obviously was a short, non-expansive answer. What I think that Ron Rivera was saying was that we in the 2020 offseason did not have a normal offseason in terms of OTA and minicamp practices, uh, of course, due to COVID. Uh, And so a guy at the time, and Dwayne Haskins, who was a second-year NFL quarterback, needed all of the first-team practice reps that he could get in training camp. Now, I think that there's a lot more that Ron could have said right there, but did not say right there, given uh, that Dwayne has since passed away. We know that Dwayne's work ethic in the 2020 season was a big issue. No need to harp on that now. Uh, There also has been this belief that the owner of the team at the time, Dan Snyder, remember him, (laughs) uh, made Ron go with Dwayne as the QB1 for that 2020 season. Although I do think that it's possible that Ron legitimately did want to see what Dwayne had and did want to give Dwayne a shot. Remember, Dwayne did play well over his final two games in his 2019 rookie season. But anyway, it's worth noting that Jacoby Brissett as a veteran may not need a bunch of first-team practice reps in order to be prepared to play with the first team. Uh, More from Ron Rivera on Monday morning. It's a little bit different. It is. Um, you know, Jacoby is a veteran guy, and him getting acclimated happens a lot quicker than, than younger guys, obviously. And that's one of the things that um, I think bodes well for a guy like Jacoby, you know, being part of your quarterback room. You know, he doesn't need the, he doesn't need the total number that, you know, we've been trying to get Sam at. The Commanders this past March signed Jacoby Brissett as an unrestricted free agent to a one-year, $8 million contract. He was taken by the New England Patriots in the third round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of NC State. Brissett was with the Patriots for the 2016 season, the Indianapolis Colts for the 2017 through 2020 seasons, the Miami Dolphins for the 2021 season, and the Cleveland Browns for the 2022 season. So he is experienced. Uh, He has bounced around. Uh, Something else that came up during Rod Rivera's post-practice press conference on Monday morning was the commander's receiver situation. There would seem to be four definites at receiver for the team's initial 53-man roster for this coming season. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, and Deami Brown. Conventional wisdom suggests six receivers on a 53-man roster, although a team, of course, can keep more or less than six receivers. But if we go with six, who are the final two receivers? Uh, There is an incumbent receiver, Dax Milne. Uh, There are two former Kansas City Chiefs who the commanders over the last few months have signed as unrestricted free agents, Marcus Kemp and Byron Pringle. Uh, There's Kazmir Allen, the undrafted rookie out of UCLA, although he's a combo receiver running back and he also could be a return man for the commanders. Uh, There's another undrafted rookie, Mitchell Tinsley out of Penn State. He has turned some heads, and there are other receivers currently on the roster. Now, for what it's worth, the commanders on Monday afternoon did put out the first unofficial depth chart uh, of the 2023 season, Uh, this in preparation for the preseason opener at the Browns this Friday night, and Dax Milne and Byron Pringle were the fifth and sixth receivers in some order. Rod Rivera on Monday morning on what he's looking for from those receivers who will fill out the team's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season. 
Well, basically, out of the, the, the guys that'll, that'll fill the back end of that room, you know, you're looking at guys that have, first of all, position flex that can play just more than, you know, whether it's the, 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 the Z, the X, or the Zebra. They've got to be able to play all three of those spots or two of those three spots. Um, then secondly, you are looking for specific skill sets, depending on, on you know, which we feel is going to be the, the one that will probably need a little bit more help at, you know. Um, is it a guy that can go vertical or is it a guy that's very quick and shifty underneath? Um, you know, or is a guy that's physical and come down and block? I mean, those are those are the three attributes that I know we'll be talking about, we'll be looking at when it comes down to, you know, who those guys are going to be for us. So, yes, you did hear Ron Rivera's phrase that pays position flex. You're looking at guys that have, first of all, position flex. There it was, <laughs> position flex. Uh, not a lot of size for the commanders at receiver right now. Remember, Cam Sims is gone. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders this past March signed Cam as an unrestricted free agent. The listed heights for the commanders' top four receivers are as follows. Terry McLaurin, six feet. Jahan Dodson, 5'11". Curtis Samuel, 5'11". Deami Brown, six feet. And so we on Monday morning had this exchange between commanders insider Ben Standing of The Athletic and Ron Rivera. Last year, you had like a guy like Cam Sims to give you some height at that spot. How much are you interested? Like, we need to have a tall receiver. Do you kind of view the tight ends as as that? So that's not necessarily a thing. So you could go in one of those other directions. Yeah, we could. I mean, to, to answer your questions directly, yes. Um, but you know, uh, one thing that we've really liked, and I think you guys have seen it, but uh, you know, uh, Diami has really stepped up his game, and uh, I think now you know, being in, in in a situation where he's very familiar with Sam. I think that's helped Diami, and he can fill that role as far as the big receiver. Um, you know, again, remember he, one of the things that that stood out when he was coming out was that he uh, he led the NCAA in contested catches. Interesting to hear Ron Rivera sing the praises of Diami Brown. Uh, Ron now has done that a few times. Uh, Washington took Diami in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of North Carolina. He, of course, was a college teammate of Sam Howell. Uh, Diami had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons for the Tar Heels in 2019 and 2020. And those two seasons were Sam's first two seasons as Carolina's starting quarterback. But Diami so far has not done much as an NFL player. He over his two NFL regular seasons has played in 30 games, but his total just 17 receptions. Uh, would be great to see Diami Brown have a big 2023 season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
So we toward the end of last segment talked about Commanders receiver Deami Brown, who Washington took in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft. He actually was Washington's second third round pick in the 2021 draft. The first was corner Benjamin St. Juice. There may not be a Commanders player having a better 2023 training camp than Benjamin St. Juice is. Uh, The juice is loose in 2023 Commanders training camp. As was said on Saturday Night Live many years ago, you likey the juice. You like the juice, eh? (laughs) Yeah, the juice is good, eh? Yes, we do. We likey the juice. The juice is good. Uh, and hopefully this coming season, the juice will be very good. So Washington took Benjamin St. Juice in the third round of the 2021 draft out of Minnesota. Uh, the team acquired the third round pick that was used to take St. Juice in the Trent Williams trade. The Redskins on Saturday morning, April 25th, 2020, minutes before the start of day three of the 2020 draft, announced having traded left tackle Trent Williams to the San Francisco 49ers for a 2025th round pick and a 2021 third round pick. Uh, The Skins, with that 2025th round pick, took center Keith Ismail, and Washington, with that 2021 third round pick, took Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, St. Juice, in his 2021 rookie regular season, played in just nine of Washington's 17 games due to concussion problems. He, in the 2022 regular season, played in just 12 of the commander's 17 games due to a right ankle injury. Uh, When he has played, he has demonstrated an ability to play well, but he just has had a hard time staying healthy. Uh, Pretty much every NFL team every season has a breakout player or breakout players. There are two breakout players for the commanders last season who immediately come to my mind. Uh, Interior defensive lineman Deron Payne and safety Derek Forrest. Uh, Deron Payne went from being pretty good to very good. Derek Forrest went from barely playing to being very good. Benjamin St. Juice is a big-time candidate to be a breakout player for the Commanders this coming season. And take a listen to this. We, during head coach Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Monday morning, had this exchange between Commanders insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post and Ron. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange between Commanders insider John Keim of ESPN and Ron. And notice how Ron reacts to being asked about Benjamin St. Juice. And then Benjamin St. Juice, what sort of growth have you seen in oh, him? Oh, wow. A lot of confidence. Um, you know, he, he's, 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 you know, now into the system three seasons, and you see him play with confidence. You, 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 play, you see how sure he is of, of his technique, um, how much stronger he is. Um, he's a good physical res- uh, corner for us with good length, and so that's, that's kind of cool, and I think it'll be very helpful. When you, ha- when you start to see a player get that kind of confidence, what are some th- little things that happen on the field as a result of that? I think as a coordinator, as a play caller, you know, it gives Jack confidence knowing that, you know, we can design something that, that will highlight and feature his ability. We can design or highlight something that, that, that obviously that will um, play to his strengths and allow us to do some things differently. And, and that's one of the things that's been really good. The other thing he's done a nice job, too, is he's, he's gone from corner to nickel seamlessly. And that's something that we, we we're really pleased with because, again, you know, this game is a game of matchups. And, and when we get in certain situations, you know, would we be able to match them up in the slot? Well, depending on who it is, absolutely. 
So at the very beginning of that cut, before Nikki Javala was even done asking her question, Ron Rivera gave off an oh wow <laughs> in talking about Benjamin St. Juice. And then Benjamin St. Juice, what sort of growth have you seen in oh, him? Wow. Yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. Uh, now, also in that cut from Rod Rivera was him saying that Benjamin St. Juice has seamlessly gone from corner to nickel. As you may recall, the idea going into last season was for St. Juice to be the team's number one nickel. He ended up transitioning to playing more on the outside. But this was Rod Rivera on Monday morning on St. Juice playing the slot. You know, sometimes guys going into the slot, they're always, you know, they're, they're not as as willing. They, they, they play a little more tight, a little more hesitant, a little more safe. And, and with, with, with Benjamin, man, you see the confidence in which he plays. Um, and it's not where he's, you know, just taking a shot or anything. It's just that he's, you know, really in line, in tune with, with the techniques and the guys that he's working with around him. Benjamin St. Juice is a bigger corner. The commanders list him as being 6'3 and 200 pounds, but we are more and more seeing bigger corners play the slot because we are more and more seeing bigger receivers play the slot. And playing the slot really isn't about size. Playing the slot is more about quickness, specifically what's called short area quickness. And if you have short area quickness, then you can play the slot, uh, even if you are a 6'3 corner. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice has a unique background. He's from Montreal. Uh, he began his collegiate career at Michigan. Uh, he played for Michigan in his 2017 true freshman season, though in just three games, and then redshirted for Michigan in 2018 uh, due to a hamstring injury. So there is that injury thing again. Uh, St. Juice in 2019 transferred to Minnesota as a graduate transfer, and he played for the Gophers in 2019 and 2020. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on what has been the difference for Benjamin St. Juice? I think I think experience, age, health. You know, last year he, he was he was struggling, obviously. I think this year, you know, he's come in. Um, he's worked with our, our strength conditioning staff. He's worked with our training staff. He's he's been working on on formulating um, plans in terms of workout plans, um, warm up plans, recovery plans, just to keep himself in in, in the best position health-wise um, to stay on the field. And, and that's important. And, and, and again, I think it's also part of it just becoming a veteran and understanding that, that you know, the guys that play a long time in this league have those kind of, 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 of plans, you know, that they, they come out, they come out seven, eight minutes earlier before everybody else. You know, they, 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 they stay a little later. They do the little extra things, spend a little bit more time in the training room, you know, get here earlier in the morning. They leave a little bit late doing those things to help extend their careers. And I think that's where he is. Well, the commanders in Benjamin St. Juice, Emmanuel Forbes, and Kendall Fuller have what could be the team's best top three at corner in years. And when you factor in guys like Cameron Curl and Derek Forrest at safety, the team could have its best secondary in years. The issue for St. Juice is not his talent. The issue is his health. If he stays healthy this coming season, he should have a good season, perhaps even a breakout season. So we had no Nationals game on Monday evening. Game one of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies got postponed due to rain. And so the Nats and the Phillies will play a single admission doubleheader on Tuesday beginning at 4.05 p.m. We on Monday also had no Orioles game. They had a scheduled off day. However, (laughs) we on Monday did have Orioles news that got a lot of attention. Kevin Brown 
not the former Orioles starting pitcher, but the Orioles play-by-play announcer, who, by the way, is really good, uh, he has, like, disappeared. Kevin Brown's last television broadcast for Masson was on July 23rd, a 5-3 Orioles win at the Tampa Bay Rays. He then, for the Orioles' next series, them losing two or three games at the Philadelphia Phillies, July 24th through the 26th, worked only Orioles radio broadcasts for those games, and he has been missing in action ever since. Well, we on Monday had multiple reports that Brown essentially has been suspended, although the O's are pushing back on him having been suspended, but uh, he has been sidelined, okay? Let's put it that way. He has been sidelined. Why? Well, Kevin Brown on July 23rd made pregame comments about how poorly the O's had done in games at the Rays in recent years. Brown was talking over a graphic that included multiple nuggets about the Orioles' lack of success in games at Tropicana Field at the Trop. Uh, including the O's having gone 0-15-1 over their previous 16 series at Tropicana Field. I mean, think about that, 0-15-1. I don't know, probably something worth mentioning, especially given the tremendous season that the O's are having best record in the American League for the 2023 regular season. But Kevin Brown talking about the Orioles' futility at Tropicana Field apparently so angered the Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos, who of course owns not just the O's but also Masson, that Kevin Brown has been made to sit in the corner. Before we go any further, take a listen to what Kevin Brown actually said. You'll hear him talking with another guy who's really good, former Orioles starting pitcher Ben McDonald, who really has taken uh, to his role as an analyst for Orioles telecast. But these were the comments that reportedly got Kevin Brown in trouble. For the Orioles, Brandon Hyde has felt like this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in, but the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three, and they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the Trop this year after winning three of 18 the previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. All right, so right there were the comments that got Kevin Brown in trouble. A, those comments were so benign, okay? B, those comments were fact Based. It's not like Brown was just shooting off a bunch of opinions. And see, and this is the best part, the Orioles' bad record at the Rays in recent years was in the Orioles' team-issued game notes for that game. The team itself put out that the team in recent years had struggled at Tropicana Field. This whole thing <laughs> is so ridiculous. This whole thing is such a bad look 
for John Angelos. This so reeks of being overly sensitive and insecure. This is yet another thing that makes Masson look really bad. And this situation goes on an already lengthy list of bad occurrences for the O's during their time being owned by the Angelos family. Never mind all of the bad baseball, okay? Peter Angelos bought the O's in August 1993, so this month actually marks 30 years since the Angelos family bought the O's. Uh, happy anniversary. <laughs> uh, the team over its 29 full seasons of being owned by the Angelos family, 1994 through 2022, has made the postseason just five times. Let that sink in, okay? Five playoff appearances over 29 full seasons. That is pathetic. And even if the O's do make the playoffs for this season, you're looking at six playoff appearances over 30 full seasons. And if you want to say, well, hey, you can't count 1994, there was no postseason, okay, fine. Let's go ahead and take out 1994 and let's include 2023 as a postseason-making season. Six playoff appearances in 29 seasons. Uh, we, with the Angelos family owning the O's for years, have had a shameful lack of spending, especially on Latin American players. Don't forget, the O's for years famously did not spend money on Latin American prospects. Uh, we had the divorce with beloved team broadcaster John Miller in November 1996. We had the famous feud between Peter Angelos and manager Davey Johnson, resulting in Davey on November 5th, 1997, hours after being named American League Manager of the Year, resigning <laughs> in one of the all-time occurrences in Orioles baseball. The guy wins AL Manager of the Year and then just a few hours later resigns his post as manager of the team. Uh, how about the intra-family Angelos feud? Uh, Louis Angelos on June 9, 2022, filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the O's, uh, although that litigation has since been put to an end. Peter Angelos has been in failing health for years. His health began to severely decline in 2017. There had been a hope that, okay, Peter was one way, but perhaps the sons, John and Lewis, will be another way. Well, no, uh, things have not been another way, at least uh, not enough of another way. Uh, there is a belief that the Angelos family will sell the O's uh, when Peter passes away. That has been said on this podcast by Tom Lavero, columnist for the Washington Times and a man who at one time had a really good relationship with Peter Angelos. Uh, and the notion of the Angelos family selling the O's also has been backed up on this podcast by sports business expert Marty Conway, who used to work for the O's. But, you know, this is such a strange time to be an O's fan. There is so much reason for optimism and good feeling with baseball operations. Again, the team for the 2023 regular season has the best record in the American League, as we talked about in the opening segment of the show. The team and executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias is being led by someone who is smart and forward-thinking. But at the same time, the team's ownership remains a problem, a big problem. You know, the team still does not have a lease for Oriole Park at Camden Yards beyond this season. <laughs> the Orioles' current lease for Oriole Park at Camden Yards expires at the end of this year. 
John Angelos back in February told reporters that he hoped to have a new lease done by the All-Star break. Well, that has come and gone, and there still is no lease, although MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred on the day of the 2023 All-Star game did tell reporters that he had, quote, every confidence, and quote, in a resolution on the lease issue, and that the O's will, quote, stay in Baltimore, end quote. I grew up with no MLB team in Washington, D.C. And so I grew up as an Orioles fan, and I still am an Orioles fan. Uh, I am part of a generation of Washington, D.C. area sports fans who grew up as combo Redskins Orioles fans. When I was growing up in the late 1980s, early 1990s, the Orioles were covered as if they were D.C.'s baseball team. The Washington Post covered the Orioles. Home Team Sports, what is now NBC Sports Washington, and soon will be the monumental sports network, televised Orioles games. The four big area teams in terms of pro sports were the Redskins, the Orioles, the Bullets, and the Capitals. That's the way that things were for a really long time in the D.C. area. If you are like me, a combo Commanders-Orioles fan... (laughs) boy, have we had quite the one-two punch of ownership, right? With Dan Snyder owning the football team and the Angelos family owning the O's. Well, Dan has been ousted. The Angeloses cannot be ousted as owners of the O's soon enough. And that will do it. For you and me for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 629, will include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Tuesday afternoon, beginning at 4.05. Have a single admission doubleheader for games one and two before game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. The O's on Tuesday night at 7.05 of game one of a three-game series against the Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and they'll talk to you on Wednesday. You're looking at guys that have first of all position flex.